This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. I was in a bookstore recently and I asked the woman behind the information desk, I said, can you tell me where the self-help section is? And she said, uh, well, if I tell you, won't that defeat the whole purpose? <laughs> I laughed and she laughed, but I said, no, is there a section on aging? And she said, it's huge and growing. Hello again and welcome to LAMA. That's the acronym that we use for Live Long and Master Aging. My name is Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Today I want to focus on two words from the name of this podcast, Master Aging. You'll know that I don't generally talk about or really embrace the concept of anti or anti-aging or the idea of reversing aging. So yes, with an optimum diet and exercise regime, it might be possible to assume a biological age younger than our actual years. But ageing for me is a forward-moving process, and the sooner in our lives that we seize the opportunities presented by growing old, the better. Joining us is the writer and life coach Richard Lyder. Richard is the co-author with his longtime friend David Shapiro of Who Do You Want to Be When You Grow Old? The Path of Purposeful Aging. Richard is a prolific writer, best known perhaps for two classic titles in the field of personal growth, Repacking Your Bags and The Power of Purpose. Richard, welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. What a great title, Peter. Thanks for having me. It's really good to talk to you. And I I think you're talking to us from the city of Minneapolis, where you live. That is correct. It's a beautiful day here today and it's Great day to talk. I imagine it is looking beautifully autumnal right now. We're recording this right at the end of September. Yep, it is my favourite season. Me too. So who do you want to be when you grow old? I'm looking forward just to dissecting that title with you. I thought it might be useful just first of all, though, to talk about your background. And I guess this is a subject, especially purpose, that you've spent much of your life thinking about. So maybe you could just tell us how you've got to this point and and really what's focused your mind and your interest on this subject over the many years that you've been doing it. Well, thanks for that that question. And it's been five decades that I've been a pioneer in what I call the purpose movement, because purpose is not only in aging and health and well-being, but it's actually uh, also in leadership and in uh, in education and in a lot of other aspects of of life. But I got into it way back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, and I was getting out of counseling psychology graduate school, trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my life. And I found that a person that I'd studied and was totally smitten with, uh, Victor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, was doing a seminar in San Diego, California. And I was in Colorado at the time, and uh, I made my way there with no money, but I spent a week with Viktor Frankl, and that was life-changing when it comes to this whole purpose movement, because those who may not know, Frankl was um, a very esteemed neurologist in Vienna, doctor, medical doctor, and he was uh, taken by the Nazis with his family and his grandparents, parents, pregnant wife Tilly, and siblings all killed He's the only one who survived. He was 
liberated from Auschwitz. He weighed 87 pounds. He went back to Vienna to heal. And he, uh, once he did, he wrote Man's Search for Meaning in Nine Days, where he said the last of the freedoms is uh, choice, to choose what you want your life to be about, regardless of the adversities you're facing. And he talked about his adversities. And it was a life changer, like many people listening probably, who have had fortuitous encounters with others in their life. It was a life changer in terms of um, my own perception of things. And I went on from there to do other things, including a fellowship that uh, with the Harvard Study of Adult Development, which is the longest standing study of progressive aging uh, in the U.S. at least, but I think worldwide. And um, I realized the power of purpose in people's lives. And so I've been about that uh, ever since. What kind of upbringing did you have? What kind of childhood? Uh, did the thought of aging occur to you very much as a as a young boy or even as a teenager? Well, another great question. It did. I mean, as an introvert, my father was a banker, middle uh, immigrant, middle uh, class manager type. But he used to, his real passion was um, helping people, guiding people. And he used to bring people home all the time for dinner and he'd He'd make me sit on the steps and listen to their stories, and so I saw that. But the real breakthrough, Peter, was my father worked at the same place for 40 years, retired, kind of got the gold watch, and died two years later. And I started to look at what was then called executive death syndrome. Why do so many people retire and die? And those that don't die physically often die emotionally or uh, mental, psychologically, me mentally. And so I got very interested in second half of life and what do we know about that? And now that we're living three decades longer, what do we do about that? So uh, as I was growing up, uh, that his death really was transformative to me in certain ways because, you know, the old linear model of life, which was to get an, you know, learn, earn, and then retire, that's what he lived. And I said, I'm not doing that. Uh, and I'm going to look at what the op what the options are. And I'm not doing that. I'm 77, and I'm working full-time and enjoying it more than ever and have a global platform in terms of purposeful work and am um, loving it. And another huge factor in your work, and especially this book that we're talking about, is a, a lifelong friendship of yours, your co-author with this book. And, and clearly friendship and people in your life, they are crucially important to the way that you view ageing and, and often influence the way that you age. True. One of my uh, colleagues has a uh, answering machine, or when you call his phone and he's not there, he says, at the sound of the tone, please leave your answer to life's two eternal questions. Who are you and what do you want? Well, those are pretty good, pretty good questions, but at different ages and stages, the who are you and what do you want uh, comes up for, for, for people. And now that we're living longer by as many as three decades, hopefully, what's the point? What's the point of the exercise? Is it just about the old model or is there a new model? Is there a new life stage? So I've been studying that new life stage now for a long time, and we could go into and will into some of the nuances of that, but um, I've found that uh, there are so many people, you know, if you if you look at another simple, uh, simple uh, mental model is that we all need money, medicine, and meaning. And medicine, Peter, stands for health, not just pharmaceuticals, like vaccines or things like that, which are important as well. So... 
you know, and I know, and others listening know people who have enough money and enough uh, health, but are bored or kind of um, dying or depressed or whatever, and others who have uh, don't have enough money in medicine but have meaning and perhaps health or something and are alive. So what is it that is the distinction between getting older, not a choice, and growing older, a choice? And that's what I've been studying. And that's what is so fascinating about your work. So let's delve into the title of the book that I mentioned. And of course, everyone was, is familiar with that childhood question, what do you want to do when you grow up? What are you yeah. going to be doing in right. a few decades' time? But you, you've turned that round to talk about who do you want to be? And you've just reflected to some extent why, why you right. did that. But maybe let's just delve that into that a little bit more and, and, and answer the first question, which you must have been posed many times as a, as a child, as I was too, in terms of what do you want to do when you grow up? Were you able to answer that? And, and looking back on that question being posed to you, uh, how did the years turn out? Well, I wrote about it. but And by the way, my colleague, David Shapiro, is a philosophy professor. So we brought decades of philosophy and psychology in our own stories together into this book. And this is our sixth book together. We've written two bestsellers together. But, and so it's, it's, the book starts out with a long conversation. So we've had a, a long conversation. So we flipped that from what to who, from what, what do you want to be to who. And then we flipped from uh, grow up to grow old. And we fought with our publisher who ultimately gave in because they didn't want to use the term old because old doesn't sell. And uh, the fact is, it does now. When you look at the demographics worldwide, in not every country, but in many, and including where I'm sitting in the U.S., we're going to be a you know an older population, uh, let's say. So we won and kept the term old because we wanted to honor old. We wanted to be pro-aging, not as you said earlier, anti-aging. Or in our conversation, uh, and so we're pro-aging. We know that there's going to be changes. But we know there are also going to be choices. And so uh, way back uh, 47 years ago in the U.S. and worldwide, a book came out called Passages. And it was written by the late Gail Sheehy based on the research that she'd studied, which is some of the research that I was involved with. And uh, that book was on the New York Times. That, that only took life, though, Peter, up to midlife. It was about midlife. But what about you know, now three decades more or more, because the fastest growing cohort uh, U.S. centric is 85 and over, and there's going to be 10 times more centenarians in the next, end of the next decade. And this is true in other countries in Europe, elsewhere, not everywhere, but, but, but true. So what's the point? How do we grow? Because we go through two major shifts. We grow up twice. Once is from childhood to adulthood, and there are rituals for that and, you know, it honors for that. But the second one is growing from adulthood to elderhood. How do we outgrow adulthood and grow into elderhood without it being ageist, without all the negatives that go with that? Because uh, so that's what we wrote about. It's interesting you mentioned the response of your publisher to the word old. I, I often get the same when I use the word age or aging in my title of this podcast, Live Long and Master Aging, that aging is seen in a very negative way. 
yet it clearly happens to all of us. The years pass yeah. by and, and that process is ageing. And, and, and in this respect, words really matter, don't they? They do. You know, ageing is not a disease. It's a design problem. It's a uh, perception problem in certain ways. We're all ageing. There's no, uh, and sometimes we're pushed by pain, and sometimes we're pulled by possibility in the in the aging process. And so uh, we're not about ageless aging, like just this is some Pollyannish version of this. But the choices we make to grow versus just get old are really really profound. So one of the words that we talk about in the book that we want to push the delete button on is the word still. Oh, Peter, you're still broadcasting. Oh, Richard, you're still writing or you're still doing whatever. And who gets to, who gets to define that? Who gets to set the rules for that? Those are old norms. And so um, the language of this book, when you dig into it, are it's a short book. It's a, it's a narratively beautiful book in terms of stories. But it's people who have really pushed the button, the pause button or the delete button on still. And another phrase that struck me, uh, admitting I am old. Now, leaving aside the I am old, just the use of the word admitting. Uh, someone yeah. admits I am old. Admit brings with it a certain level of guilt, doesn't it? And in, in all of my reporting over the years, it's always been hammered home to me that be very careful about the use of word admitting because you can yeah. acknowledge something, but you're not guilty of something. And we're not <laughs> guilty of getting old. Yeah, I mean, it's a fact of life for, for everybody. You know, how old is old? Well, it, it's not necessarily an age, it's a mindset. It's a, uh, a, a, a perception in, in so many ways. And so we talk about uh, purpose as a path and a practice. Purpose is a verb. Purpose is something that we actually do and we live out through active uh, engagement. And so, I, you know, my whole model is about unlocking, bringing out the power of purpose, because having a why, having a reason to get up in the morning is fundamental. And that's the number one thing that I hope your listeners would get, that this is not a luxury. Purpose, the path of purposeful aging, purpose is not a luxury. It is fundamental to health, to healing, to happiness, and ultimately to, to longevity. I did a uh, PBS special in the U.S., uh, few years back. It's shown in about 400 cities. It's still being shown in some of those. And one of the things I got to do, Peter, was to visit, which I've done earlier as well, neuroscience labs that are measuring purpose in the brain, purpose in dementia, purpose in well-being in many ways. And one of those doctors at Johns Hopkins held up a pill. He said, Richard, you see this pill? I said, yep. His name is Dr. Majid Fatui. And he said, uh, this pill will... Uh, increase the quality of life even with Alzheimer's, will redu reduce the incidence of macrosco macroscopic stroke by 41%, will help with sleep apnea, and he went on and add to 7 to 10 years. What do you think? Do you want to buy it? I said, well, of course, who wouldn't? But is there one, and what would it cost? And he smiled, and he said, well, you invented it. It's the power of purpose. He said, we now know all these other things about nutrition and diet and fasting and everything, exercise are all essential, but so is purpose, having a reason beyond yourself to get up in the morning, and we're now able to measure that. And so it's become, purpose has become self-evident. So that's really helped me over the years because, you know, every new idea goes through first ridicule, 
then opposition, then ultimately with the science becomes self-evident. So purpose is now self-evident, which is a big sigh of relief for me. So why do so many people struggle with purpose and embracing purpose in their lives? And I wonder if, it, if it's because, well, we're going through difficult times now. Perhaps we're always going through difficult times in one sense or another, but it's been particularly bad in the last couple of years. Your book is very recently written. You reference the COVID pandemic right. and the, the real difficult times, the nightmarish times that so many people have had to go through. And it, it's affected people's mental health. It's been very difficult to look to the future for many people. And, and perhaps that is why this optimistic sense of, of purpose, positive sense of purpose, comes so difficult. To, to, you know, it is so difficult to embrace for so many people. And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Well, it actually, uh, I would suggest the opposite in some ways in that the pandemic, if you will, has uh, helped people to or has forced people to step back and look at life and work and time and mortality and all of these things in a more real way rather than just as, uh, oh, I'll get around to that at some time. So many people now want to quit their jobs, want to move from where they're living, want to make different choices that have always been in the backstory, but now have kind of moved to, to the front story in many ways. So the way that I get at this question that you've asked is purpose with a big P and purpose with a small P. So purpose with a big P is kind of noble. Oh, I have a perp I need to have a purpose like a cause or something that's quit my day job, so to speak, and do something more noble. Purpose with a small P, however, is where I live. The big P is important, but the little P is even more important. The little P purpose, I often, if it's an audience where I can actually see people, it's there's a sigh of relief when I talk about purpose with a small P. Because that's what can you do on a day-to-day, everyday basis to make a difference in life and your own life and the lives of others. So let me give your listeners the, the universal, worldwide, default purpose. It's only two words. Grow and give. That's it. If you get up in the morning and ask, why am I here? Or what am I going to do today? It's to grow and give. That's it. That's the universal purpose. And so think about how simple that is, but how profound it is in terms of execution, in terms of operations on a day-to-day basis. And so one of the practices that I preach is to write those two words on a post-it, you know, a little sticky, put it on your mirror, grow and give. And tomorrow morning when you wake up, ask yourself, how am I going to grow and give today? How am I going to make a difference beyond myself in one other person's life? And at the end of the day, ask yourself, what did I do in that? Because there are 1,440 purpose moments in the day. If you take sleep out, it'd be less, of course. But if you add up all the moments in the day, 1,440 choice, choice points. I call them purpose moments where you can step in and give somebody like Victor Frankl in the concentration camp said, 
Give somebody a hug, a kind word, a crust of bread, a slurp of your soup, something that will make a difference that will help them create the will to live and, and uh, another day. And so uh, Frankel used to say, in spite of everything, Peter, say yes to life. And that's what purpose is really about. In spite of it all, say yes to life. Well, what does that mean? Well, what it means to me and what it meant to him was uh, don't ask what my purpose is, big P, ask what am I willing to do to make a difference in somebody else's life today in this moment. And that's what the little P is all about. So I hope that helps your listeners by making the distinction between the two, because I think it's an important one. I think that is, it's hugely profound. And, and of course, giving to others the biggest reward is ultimately what we're giving to ourselves yeah. through that. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, love books. I like writing them. I like holding them. I like underlining them. Uh, books as opposed to... And I was in a bookstore recently, and I asked the woman, it was a big independent bookstore, and I asked the woman behind the information desk, I said, can you tell me where the self-help section is? And she said, uh, well, if I tell you, won't that defeat the whole purpose? Which I, la <laughs> I laughed and she laughed, but I said, no, is there a section on aging? And she said, it's huge and growing. And so I, I, I went back to that and I found, and I do find that people are looking for guidance because this is new territory. This is not something that uh, you know, my father's story that I told earlier was not, is not my story. So we have this new phase of life, and uh, I uh, don't know if your listeners globally have heard of something called AARP. It used to be called the American Association of Retired Persons. Now it's just called ARP, Real Possibilities. But I created their Life Reimagined Institute, which was their think, tank, think and do tank on the future of aging. And I was the curator of that for uh, five years until they took it inside and made it uh, part of their own but what we found was that there were millions of people who wanted to join some new platform where they could look at this new phase of life, like going to the bookstore and looking for a book on this, um, that would be helpful because it was new territory. And often their friends and colleagues would say, oh, well, just, you know, enjoy life. And uh, it's leisure time. It's not for 30 years or 40 years. I mean, really? And so... Um, I love what the American essayist, Peter E.B. White, said. He said, I arise in the morning, torn between a desire to save the world and a desire to savor the world. This makes it hard to plan the day. Well, I think the good life is about saving and savoring, but we need to define, everybody's an experiment of one. We need to define that for ourselves. And isolation is fatal. Going it alone not a good idea. What we find is an epidemic of loneliness worldwide right now. Technology is is um, helping and abetting that in certain ways. There is, a, you're right, an ep epidemic of, of loneliness. And you write in your book about, uh, I think we're all aware of the midlife crisis, or at least the phrase, whether we have a midlife crisis or not, but also a late life crisis. And I guess that loneliness might come into that, that you're getting to a certain stage in your life whether you're 70, yeah. 60, right. 50 for some people. Right. It's the f perceived as being the final phase of your life. Right. And it is a crisis for some. It is. And it's a crisis because a lot of people do not have what I call a sounding board. A sounding board is people they can really talk to about what's up with them. They have social contacts and they have friends, 
But very few, and a lot of people say, uh, yeah, they don't really get why I'm still doing, and I can attest personally, a lot of people don't get, including my neighbors, why I'm still working, why I'm still writing, why I'm still doing what I'm doing. When Can't you afford to retire and do? And I said, yeah, but this is what I love to do. Why would I, why would I retreat, which is another word for retire, from this and uh, just what we're doing this minute? And uh, I'm not doing it to sell books. I'm doing it because I love to grow and give myself. That's my own sense of my small P purpose. My big P purpose is to help others unlock the power of purpose, really shift their mindset. My small P is to make a difference in one person's life every day. And that gives me great joy and great aliveness in, in so, so many ways. And so um, the late life crisis uh, this, the data is still out on that, but a lot of people uh, have that late life crisis because they don't have somebody that they can talk to. And so when I talk about a sounding board, I talk about like, who is your committed listener? Who's the person who uh, practices care versus cure? They care about you, but they're not there to fix you. Tell me more about that, Peter. Give me an example, you know, and, and uh, as opposed to, well, here's what I did or what I would do type of thing. And another person on a sounding board is a wise elder. Who is there? Who are your exemplars of aging? Like, like Victor Frankl was one who, who continued post concentration camp to the age of 93, earning 30 doctorates and continuing to speak and write. And not just the work he did, but who he was and who he brought to life was, among others, was a fortuitous type of uh, exemplar for, for, for me. And then who are your wise youngers? Who are the younger people in your life? And then who is your purpose partner? Who is the person who can really, with that little post-it, hold your feet to the fire and say, well, Peter, you said you want to do this. What have you done this week? So I think the point is that we going it alone is a bad idea. Isolation is fatal. We need partners, but we need partners who really get us. Well, on that point, we had Chip Connolly on the podcast uh, a few months ago, and I think he has, uh, I know you, you quote Chip in your book as yeah. well, he's probably done more than most to just change the perception, the understanding of the term elder or elderly, which has the connotations that you've just been talking about, to making it positive and you know, moving into that phase where you are an elder. And of course, there are many communities around the world where the elders are the esteemed members of that society. And I think it's certainly something, I live in California, something in the United States and other parts of the world that has been lost and yeah. lost to the detriment of all of us. Well, I'm a faculty in the Modern Elder Academy and Chip's story is in my book and he's endorsed it and vice versa. So, uh, But you know, I've been leading walking safaris in Africa for 35 years in Tanzania. And I've push the pause button during the pandemic, but I'll, I'll end up going back again sometime soon. And uh, sitting around the fire with elders in Africa, I've learned, I wrote a book called Claiming Your Place at the Fire and uh, co-authored that one with David Shapiro as well. And what we learned was that the wisest of the elders tend to sit the closest to the fire. And there's no manual for that. It just happens because they have the wisdom and the stories and the worth listening to, they tend to sit closest to the fire, not just for the warmth, but for, so we can hear them. And one time when I was doing an interview and with an, uh, a very esteemed elder from a hunter-gatherer, one of the last of the hunter-gatherer tribes called the Hadza, H-A-D-Z-A, in Tanzania, 
And he said, Richard, how about if I ask you a question? So through a translator, he said, Richard, you know what the two most important days in your life are? And I said, sure, birth and death. Oh, he was totally chagrined, Peter. He said, well, birth for sure, because of infant mortality and the way we live. You know, we're a total sharing culture and we live out here in the bush and there's only like 1,200 of us left. And But the second most important day is the day that you determine, and as elders, we help you determine why you're here, how you fit into community, into society. Who are you in this, and and how do you embrace that? And so I think that's kind of an eternal, universal question in many ways, That why I say that purpose is not only fundamental, but is universal. They've survived 100,000 years because they've helped people fit in, and with their gifts and talents, not just their... Uh, Age at, at, and so uh, I think that whole business of um, helping uh, to create a new identity at different ages and stages is really universal. Just going back to what you said about your friends and neighbors who can't quite understand why you're still doing this at your age, why you're still working. And I fully understand what you say. And I guess my intention is to keep on doing this as, as long as I can, because I, I see a purpose to use that word. I see yeah. a purpose in what I'm doing. I'm curious, do you ever get accused or do people say that you're obsessed with your specialist subject, the subject of, of purpose. I've certainly heard that. I was actually just yesterday listening to a, an interview with someone in the UK who specialises in the science of, of longevity, but was accused by the interviewer of being obsessed. And this comes back to the use of words. It's used in a way that has a negative connotation. It's not being used in a positive sense that you're doing a great job. It's kind of questioning your your mental approach to this and whether you should still be doing it. Well, nothing's worse for me than sitting on an airplane or at a dinner or a party next to a former anything who's lost their obsession, who's lost their identity, who's lost their reason to get up in the morning. So they say, well, I used to be a CEO. And I say, well, so what are you obsessing about now? That's the question I ask. And they say, what do you mean? And I said, well, what are you really curious about? What are you passionate about? What are you interested in? How are you growing? You know, if I have to have more to say about that. And, you know, I was at a, uh, on a program recently with the founder of TED, TED Talks, Richard Saul Warman, and his whole thing is about curiosity. TED was created based on the ultimate dinner party, where he would invite people he was really curious to learn from and to see how they would interact with each other in the area of technology, entertainment, and design. That's what Ted was. And so he said there's millions of people today every day watching, maybe billions, but millions watching TED Talks. Why? Because they're curious about something. So I would just say obsessed, yeah, probably true about me, but uh, not obsessed in a negative way that I, you know, that I don't have a life, but obsessed in a way that I'm really curious. I'm a learner. The future belongs to the learners, not the knowers. And I'm a learner, and I'm, uh, I did something that is available on my website, which is richardleiter.com. It's called my Incomplete Manifesto for Purpose. Incomplete Manifesto. Why is it? Well, every movement needs a manifesto. So I created the Purpose Manifesto, but it's incomplete because I'm still learning. And so uh, I love learning, and that learning edge does not mean having to go back to school or obsessing about things but it really is enlivening. So what 
gets you out of bed every morning now as you look to your future and you've talked about and I fully appreciate your your purpose in continuing to do what you do you've talked about wanting to travel and go back to Africa and do what you were able to do before the pandemic what are you looking forward to well i have something called one of the practices that i practice myself is called golden hour every morning i get up make a nice cup of coffee and write and read and uh i'll i'll say study um you know under the rubric of grow and give it's my grow hour and so i ask people um uh what what's your what are your practices because so many people say oh i'd like to write a book just like you wrote a book and i said well what are your practices for writing and they look at me like i'm from outer space and i said well if you don't have a practice you you're a waiter not a writer and so the practice is something i enjoy doing it's and i often peter have to be interrupted when so, when someone will say to me, oh, don't you have a meeting or don't you have to go somewhere or don't you? I went, oh, yeah, I forgot, you know, because I was so engaged in it. So finding something that you're curious, passionate and engaged in, nah, it's not for everybody, but making a little difference, a small p difference in other people's lives. If you do that practice, I said earlier with the post-it for, for a week, you'll get a felt sense of purpose. Not just purpose as a concept, but purpose as a felt sense. It feels good to make a difference beyond yourself. And I think the people that I find the toughest for me are narcissists, people who are self-absorbed, say, well, don't you think I've earned it? You know, I worked hard all these years. And I said, yeah, for a while, I think you should do whatever. Clean your closets, travel, play golf, fish, do whatever you love to do. But at a certain point, you know, you live in community. You live with others, and if it's all about you all the time, uh, you're going to get sick, pure and simple. I love the concept of your golden hour every morning. I think it's a, it's a beautiful way to describe it. And I suppose we all, well, maybe we all don't, maybe we all should have that golden hour in yeah. the morning. Mine is mine is going for a long walk with my dog. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it takes about an hour. It's in the country. It's relaxing. It's it's great exercise. Yeah. It's it's almost spiritual. It's the sun is just rising yeah. as I come back oftentimes from that walk. That's how that's my yeah. moment. Yeah. Do you have any other daily rituals that you've got to do every day? Well, the the it's related to the golden hour, but it's called the two minute purpose practice. And before getting out of bed in the morning, it's, it's two minutes, and the two-minute purpose practice is pause, meaning don't reach for your cell phone or your computer or something like that. Secondly, take three deep breaths, centering yourself. And the third is to make uh, uh, an intentional, in your mind, an intentional difference to say, what am I doing today? Where could I make a difference today in one person's life? Oh, yes, I have this with my friend or grandson or whomever and what what could i bring to that and making that intentional act there for yourself so these are simple things but the i think that one of the things that needs to happen is a shift in mindset because purpose is not a goal purpose is an aim it's a direction you want your life to take there are goals or practices like we're saying along the way but it's it's a mindset and part of creating a purpose mindset, which we call the path of pur purposeful aging, is to learn to say no. No is a complete sentence. No demands boundaries. To say yes to something, you can't do it unless you say no, because it usually requires either 
time or money or something that, oh, I don't have time. Well, you got all the time there is, same as me, but you're saying yes to things that I'm saying no to. So what are you willing to say no to and say in, in, in order to say yes? So I always say to people, and they always write it down, no, period. No is a complete sentence. It doesn't mean to be toxic or negative or hostile. It just means to be clear. And so part of it is to make appointments with yourself on your own calendar. You give so much time to others and, you know, we have an epidemic of busyness, always going somewhere, never being anywhere. But to be someplace and to make a difference means to say no and to set those kind of intentions. And people, I think, would be surprised how others appreciate no as a full sentence because it's an answer yeah, and it's a clear answer. It is. People hesitate before saying no because they think they're being rude or dismissive in some yeah. way. Whereas actually it's the clear answer that a lot of people yeah. want to hear from you. I could have said to you, I'll try to be on this today, this podcast today, which means I probably won't or I'll, you know, I'm not committed or you can count on it. I'm committed or no, Peter, I can't do that. So, I mean, trying is okay at times, but it's basically an opt-out in certain ways that is, as you said, kind of messy with others. One thing that you uh, don't do in the book is essentially reach a, a conclusion on behalf of everyone. You raise a lot of issues and pose a lot of questions, but then ultimately the message is it is up for us, the reader, to decide based on our own lives. But you, you set out the stall, you raise the issues, but you're not telling people what to do. Well, there are nine questions. Each chapter is a question and with some very profound stories to back it up, because as I said, everybody's an experiment of one. We don't have a silver bullet. But I would push back on what you said by this. We start with what we call the long conversation, but we end with the ultimate conversation. And what we say is that ultimately, you're going to have to have this conversation. So have it earlier than later. And the, the ultimate conversation is, is about death, basically. And the three questions that we, we talk about is, what do you think happens when you die? And we answer that, both of us. How would you like to die? And we answer that. And the third question is, what gifts do you want to leave the world before you die? Which is a profound question about, you know, the, so those are three things we think, uh, as St. Benedictine said with a couple of our stories, keep death daily before your eyes. Some people would find that to be very uh, morbid. We find many more people are saying that is helping us to really make choices today about saying yes and saying no and some of the things we've been talking about. Because you can't just avoid it. You know, at some point uh, there is there is an end, and so the but the, the the nine chapters. It's only the book's only 130 pages long, and and you so uh, it has uh, it's an easy two hour read in the in the evening. Nice little hardcover, beautifully designed uh, book, and um, if I might say so, and I find it it adds to having that conversation with somebody else. Like we're having right now, but but I'm talking about somebody in your own orbit. And I agree with you. It is a, a beautifully written book. It is, as you say, it's a sit down in the evening and read it in its entirety. And then just think about what you've been reading. And, and you mentioned those questions that you pose to yourselves about death and, and other issues. We'll not go into now what your answers to those they're questions were. They're in the book. <laughs> were, but they're in the book, exactly. 
and they are they make for a fascinating read, as does as the entire book. And uh, I, I'm really grateful to you for writing it because uh, it does go along with what I think and what I try to talk about on this podcast. I, I don't tell anyone what to do. I think ultimately it's up to people to listen to people like yourself yeah. and perhaps uh, reach some decisions uh, for themselves and uh, perhaps a new perspective on their own lives. John O'Donoghue, the Irish, late Irish uh, poet, said the question holds the lantern. The question holds the lantern. So what we've offered are questions and stories of how people have answered those questions, but ultimately have left it up to, to you. So we hope that, that we've held the lantern, the light for people to have those conversations with themselves and others. So, so far, so good. Richard, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you very much indeed. Me too. Thank you so much, Peter. Richard Lyder, whose book with David Shapiro is Who Do You Want to Be When You Grow Old? The Path of Purposeful Aging. You'll find Richard at richardlyder.com. And I'll add that link to the show notes for this episode. You'll also find a transcript of this conversation there. You can search our entire catalogue of past episodes, including the conversation I mentioned with Chip Conley. The episode is titled Wisdom, Curiosity and the Modern Elder. The Live Long and Master Aging website is at llamapodcast.com. That's double L-A-M-A podcast.com. In social media, you'll find us at llamapodcast. And you can contact me, and please do, at Peter Bowes. This is a Healthspan Media production. You've already found us, but a quick reminder, we're available at all of the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Pandora, to name a few. Wherever you find us, do take care. And thank you for listening. Flexbeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Ruud. Whenever you put the Flexbeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. Flexbeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.